I have a confession to make. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> so the last few weeks, um, you know, I've asked you to, to read through the scripture this year. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've had this experience ongoing that until I finish up the week's readings, I'm not getting a message from the Lord. <laughs> He's like, you asked them to do this. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, it's, it's beautiful in one way that he interacts with us. On the other hand, you're just kind of going, really? <laughs> and I, uh, I was working on something else all week long. Had 20 pages of scripture references that I was weeding through, to, and it just wasn't happening. And finally, when I sat down and spent a couple hours catching up, um, then I went a whole different direction, and uh, it's tied to what's already been going on this morning, so I have that sense that it's appropriate, but it's kind of amazing how he interacts with us this way. You know, and there are times when you're going, well, I shouldn't, why should I have to, you know, it doesn't really matter. He calls the shots. <laughs> so it's just kind of an intriguing thing. Um, I, I want to follow a thread that goes through some of the portions of our readings out of Matthew. And in dealing some with this idea of humility and position and all of that, um, the disciples had come to Jesus in Matthew 18, and they said, who's the greatest? And apparently, they spent a good deal of their time jockeying for position right up to the point of Jesus' death. In Luke 22, they, uh, they're in the setting of the Last Supper, and they're still arguing about who's the greatest. So they didn't get it resolved until he's already dead. So it's one of those things where, you know, they're just kind of that clash. Some of these guys have been friends from childhood on, but that competitiveness or whatever was there. And you can look at it later and you say, well, Peter, you know, he, he became the first leader and he should have risen up. But you could also look at John and said, this guy theologically framed much of what we see in the New Testament and wrote extensively. So, you know, there's different gifts, but the powerful gifts. But anyway, they, they bring this to him, and he calls a little child to him. He says, truly, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've regularly watched people interact and, and, and forgive me, but college students, there are times when you'll see a person go, oh, I'm just like a little kid. And, and what they're saying is, I'm fun to be around. And you're going, well, you're acting like a dope right now, but I'll take your word for it. You know, it's, this isn't what he's asking us to do. You know, the pretense of, of happiness or whatever. But I'll bring it to this idea that 
if he's our father and we're all his children, there's something to be grabbed onto within this setting. Now, when we look at it, children always are in a place of need from those that are parenting, right? They're always, you know, that blessed are the poor in spirit, so to speak. But there's also this uh, thing of, I don't have power to affect this situation and I need some help. So I was chewing on this. I, I've, I've watched kids, right before they can walk, it's extremely frustrating to them, right? And they can be an, annoying to be around because they're fussing and that they can't do what they, they know they will be able to do and haven't done yet. Same way when it comes time for them to talk, there's a frustration that builds up and it explodes in all kinds of directions. And, and you're going, it'll be a lot better when they can express themselves. Well, they get over that hurdle and then it's like, can't read. But it's a whole lot better when they can take a book and just kind of go off and read. Or it becomes a thing of, you know, in, in the teen years trying to think, I, I, I have a body that's almost adult, but I'm not quite there. I have this sense of that I know that I, I'm called to different things, but I, I'm not sure what. And that frustration tends to explode at times. I find it beautiful that God cares about that and doesn't get overwhelmed by it. And frankly, understands it better than we do. So that when we come to these moments where we're, in a sense, exploding in every direction because of the frustrations, it really is the thing that calls us to that next step. I mean, that frustration that the baby can't get, it moves them into walking, crawling and then walking. It moves them into speech. It moves them into reading. And in the same way for us, there are times where there's anxiety about the moment of not being able to quite... It's that thing that's pushing us to that place of change and, and development. And God understands that. And He's not bothered by it. In fact, He's, in a sense, programmed it into us. And so there's that need for us even to look at the frailest in our culture and say... We need to help where we can. That's why James, orphans and widows, you know, the two that couldn't respond or couldn't take care of themselves, says, we have an obligation here. Some years ago, I had uh, some friends. Uh, they weren't Christian. Uh, they were semi-religious, although I don't know that they believed in God. They, they didn't. They didn't claim Christian faith at all. They were participant in another religion. They both were very brilliant people and made a lot of money. Uh, one was into a form of banking. He'd studied physics, got a doctorate, and, and uh, the other was into the physics as well. But uh, is it Fermilab that's in the Chicago? Yeah, they, the person worked for Fermilab. And... Uh, Together, their combined incomes were probably about three-quarters of a million a year. So 
substantial money. One day, she got pregnant. It didn't fit with their plans. And, uh, you know, even if she'd stayed home, I'm going, I could live on half that. <laughs> you know, that wasn't in their thinking, though. And they ended up getting an abortion. Well, out of that, there became this tension within their marriage. I remember hearing it described of, what kind of person <laughs> am I really married to? It was going both ways in that discussion. What, who did this? Why, why? You know, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that you look at it and going, how we treat the littlest and the frailest of our culture says a lot about who we think we are. If, if we view ourselves as God's children, who are dependent on his care and his oversight, then it isn't quite so much to, to take care of others. Now, obviously, I mean, you know, every time I touch on this, I'm going, there is forgiveness and healing for everyone. But there's a, it's a critical question to ask. What mindset or what value do we place on life? You know, so if, if you have no willingness to deal with a little child because it's messy and it's time-consuming and it, it takes away from things that I want to do, what does that say about your character? That's, that's the issue that comes up, right? What, what, if, if we aren't willing to, to invest in the weakest, what does it also say about our own mindset in, in view of God? Am I trying to earn his favor? Am I trying to work hard enough? Am I trying to do enough that he might be happy with me? Or do I embrace that he chooses to accept me as a child, so to speak, no matter what my weakness is? It's a big deal. Because only can, can you really be comfortable in your own skin if you're willing to embrace the weak around you. Oh, good, I've got done with two slides. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we become child-focused or that suddenly they become the end-all or the little kings and queens or princes and princes. You know, that, that's not to become the preoccupation but it's the recognition of their need as well in our investment. So it isn't turning away, but it's just saying, in the big picture, every life has value. Um, he goes on in this particular passage, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. If you cause one to sin like that, it says, that's not a good thing, Okay. 
See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So he, Jesus takes this a step further, and he says that children, even children, even the little ones that can't necessarily express themselves very well, that are constantly making messes, he says they have great value in heaven. In fact, the angels are watching over their lives. I, I'm, I'm looking at this, and, and the next passage that comes out is that he tells the parable of the, the hundred sheep, and one gets lost, and the shepherd goes and finds it. And, and if you look at that and, and kind of combine them together, you would say that even children can have encounters with God so they have great value. Even children can have interaction with the Lord. God seeks out even the children. So it's important not to just say, well, when they, when they get big enough, then we can, then we can talk. Well, the illustration together would be that God's already talking to them and maybe we should too. There's great value for every soul. Let's go to the next chapter. Little children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So again, Jesus is investing spiritual insight into the littlest. He's, he hasn't blown it off and say. Grow up, I'll deal with the adults, get them trained, and they can pass this on. He's already bypassed that, and he's, he's saying, I have significant relationship I want to develop with them now. Incredible. Every life having value. Every life having interaction with God. But that, <laughs> the disciples don't get it, and so they're rebuking people. They say, don't waste his time. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. So Jesus was making spiritual investment into the children, even though the disciples weren't getting it. They're, they were concerned about themselves. Now, the next story that comes along is a rich young man who comes and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, um, obey the law. I've done all that. He says, well, then get rid of your possessions and come follow me. Give away what you have. And, uh, you know, it's one of those moments where you're going, here's a guy that has it all in this life. And Jesus saying, that's not at all. <laughs> in other words, pay less attention about this life. I want you to do something different. And he goes away sad, but then Peter comes back to him and says, well, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. And, and Peter's kind of at this place, going, well, what's in it for us? It's a very similar question to who's the greatest. And Jesus makes this comment in the new world when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne you follow me. You will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
He says, there is authority in the next life for you if you'll commit yourself to my course in this life. You know, they're, they're arguing who's the greatest, who has the authority, who has the right to make call the shots. And he's going, you get this right in this life, there will be <laughs> incredible days ahead in regard to authority. But then he also goes on to say, in regard to what you have, so to speak, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands or for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So he's going, this life is not what all your focus needs to be upon. You need to turn your attention toward what's ahead as well. Well, did they get it yet? Chapter 20. Two of the brothers had their mama come and ask. You know, they've been arguing with everyone else, but maybe mama can get what we want. Or maybe just mama will go on, I want to see my boys taken care of, you know. So she comes and says, I'd like to ask something of you. In the next life, you know, they're committed to serving you in this life. Those are good boys. They're doing things right. So in the next life, can one sit on the right, one on the left? I'm not asking, you know, but they're special. And again, it's, it's like that, well, if I'm doing just this in this life so that I can attain more in the next life, something's twisted. Okay? If, if the relationship with God is not the primary focus and it becomes just attaining things in the next life, again, something is off. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm drinking? Now, he's aware that he's going to the cross and going to die within a day or two, right? Within a day, basically. Soon. They're going, of course, we, we, we're participant with you in everything. He's going, you are going to drink of it, but you don't know what you're talking about. And he goes on, it's really not even for me to give. The Father's going to establish who sits where. But the, the story gets even wilder because then the ten, when they hear about it, they're really upset. What are those, what are those two? Who do they? Who do they think they are? Sending their mama? You know. The only reason that would upset them is that they wanted that position as well. If, if you tell me that you, you bought a beautiful pink coat got it on sale, everything you could ask for. 
I would be going, well, that's great. Because I don't care about pink coats. I'm happy for you. You know? There's no jealousy in my heart in that moment. I'm celebrating your great find. You know? If it was something that I would have wished for, then it's a little more complicated, right? I mean, I should be celebrating the goodness of our God that put enough in your hands to be able to do something like that because he is generous, and I know that he's generous for me as well. So it might come out in a different expression, but I know that that same generosity is going to be expressed in my life as well as somebody else's. Is it going to come out in the form of a new coat? Not necessarily. But I know that our generous Lord is, is the one that provided for you, and he will provide for me as well. But when we're, when we're walking through this, and we're looking at a situation where the ten are upset and jealous over something, it ought to awaken something in our hearts to say, why am I wound up over this? Why am I wound up over another's blessing? Why am I upset that something good happened to them? Sometimes it's because there's a jealousy in us that says, I want the exaltation. I want the power. I want the possession. I, you know, and if anything, when it reveals our heart that way, there's an appropriateness of acknowledging it and say, God, there's obviously some more work that needs to happen here. And I open up my life to you to explore that with me and, and transform me. It's a beautiful experience if you're able to celebrate good things when they happen to other people. I, I believe that if you start practicing what's right in that, there comes a point where you actually truly are celebrating the goodness of God in others' lives. That it's, initially it's almost like, God is good. God is good. God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for providing goodness for this person. But as you participate in that, there, there is a sense of the bigger picture that says, He truly is good. And He has enough good for me as well. It's, you know, we can get jealous regarding possessions. We can get jealous regarding particular blessing. We can get jealous that somebody heard something from the Lord. We can get jealous over somebody's gifts, spiritual gifts. You know, we can get jealous over their abilities. There are times when you bump up against people that just do things better than you. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, how hard you study, how hard you practice, it just ain't going to happen. And yet there's a beauty in being able to say, God may be the way I am for what he has designed for my life, and he has good intent overarching all of that. I 
I heard a guy express it this way this last week. He says, don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to who you were previously. And it's a pretty good insight. You know, are you making progress? Celebrate that. And then you can celebrate what others are progressing in as well. Um, in this particular story, Jesus talks to the ten, and he goes, or the rest of them, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and exercised authority over them. In other words, it's, there's something in each of us that longs to tell others what to do and how to do it. That, it's that ego-driven, you know, let's, I, I want things my way. He says, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, this is the example that I set. This is what I ask of you as well. Now, you already heard it out of Philippians. So again, why is God bringing that to our midst? It's time for us to look inside and say, okay, Lord, what, what are you asking or speaking to me in this moment? I, I, one final passage. In the 21st chapter, I found it interesting that uh, this is the final week. Jesus has already gone to Jerusalem for the final week. You know, the Palm Sunday has taken place. And he's in the temple, and he is... Cleansed the temple, driven out the money changers. Uh, he's been healing a batch of people. And the children are running around shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Children got the message. <laughs> you know, the, the little ones got it. You know, now the religious leaders are going, that shouldn't be happening. And Jesus quotes Psalm 8 and said, aren't you aware that this is already spoken of? If God speaks to the littlest ones, then there's great hope that he speaks to us as well. If we're willing to embrace that he speaks to the youngest in our midst, then there's great hope that even though they're weak and immature and incapable of doing many, many things, God is still speaking into their hearts. Then with my weakness and immaturity and inabilities in different areas, he is speaking to me as well. Praise to God. Lord, we ask that out of these passages that you would reveal to us when we are acting self-serving and are really being quite selfish, we ask that you'd make aware of those things so that we might change them. We also ask that you would help us to see every individual with value. And Lord, we thank you that your example was set of being a servant and even a slave that we might live and help us as we seek to follow your example and pour out our lives as well. 
When's the last time you interacted with a child? I mean, let's make it practical. Uh, you don't understand. When I, when I come to church, I, I, I've been working all week and I need something for me. Yeah, no, you don't get it. <laughs> You're putting God in this box that says it has to be in the worship and maybe he's saying... I'll speak to you through the interaction. Now, why, why does it have to happen in, when the mood is right, you know, the music? That's really pressing God into a place where He doesn't belong. It, it's, it's bigger. The only way that we can interact with those that are weaker than us and with the frail of our society is if we truly believe that in that interaction, God has something to speak into our hearts as well. But he's designed it that way. And so there's a beauty to it. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. What remains is open-ended. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. May your blessing rests on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy that they are your children. To look with eyes to see and serve. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.